Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning. morning. Try that again. Good morning, everyone. Happy Lord's Day to you. And uh, just so thankful that you're here. I know oftentimes we have people that aren't people who go to church frequently, or maybe you've never been to church before, and we just really want to greet you and welcome you. I also want to remind you that we're in the middle of a sermon series entitled The Table. And The Table is a series where we are going to, and we have been for the past two weeks, this is the third week, where we're taking a look at Jesus sitting at a table and eating meals with people. Jesus sitting at a table and eating meals with people. And so the title for this sermon is The Last Supper. We're going to take communion together. It's entitled The Last Supper, and the reality of it is it's called The Last Supper, but the truth of it is it never really ended because we're still taking that meal today. So it was called The Last Supper, but it was really the first of The Last Suppers, plural, Now, every time I teach or preach on this table series, there's two things I want to remind us of. One, in Jesus' day, you would never eat a meal with someone who is unrighteous. In our day and age, you can just, someone will say, hey, let's meet at Bodo's. You'll go to Bodo's, a Riverside burger. Jesus would have eaten cheeseburgers. I'm convinced of it. But you go somewhere and you sit and you meet with people And you do it on a whim. Never would you do that in Jewish culture in Jesus' day. You would never eat a meal with someone who was unrighteous or someone you were not in right relationship with. And the second thing you need to know and remember is, is that feasts and banquets and dinners were the biggest deal of all in culture. It was the apex of culture. It's where people would gather together for celebration. I hate to tell you this, but there was no Netflix at the time of Jesus. There were no movies. There weren't massive sporting events in most of where Israelite people lived. And so you would find yourself at these banquets, and these banquets and feasts were extremely important in the lives of people. And so what I want you to do is take a moment And I want you to remember the last time you were at a banquet, last time you met with friends. Just kind of close your eyes. I want you to think about it. Now, again, what doesn't count is that you got a text five minutes before school or work let out and you just raced and met with someone. No, this has to be an event that was planned, there was anticipation, and the room was prepared in advance. I want you to think about it. And when you met, where were you and who was there? I want you to think about it. Who was there and where were you? Why were you there? Were you there to celebrate a friend's promotion, a new job, a graduation, a wedding, a bridal or baby shower, some milestone birthday? Why were you gathered with that group of people? Now, as I thought about us kind of preparing ourselves for the Last Supper and what it really meant during the time of Jesus, I wanted us to take that brief exercise. 
And whether you're worshiping with us online or here in the sanctuary, I've wanted you to do that. And as I thought about it, my mind went to a banquet, a meal, a celebration that my wife Fran invited me to be a part of. And what that was, what that banquet was, her high school reunion. It was her reunion for her high school. It ended with a zero, that's all I'm gonna say. And so we went, and it was really cool. I only knew two people plus Fran. I'd never met anyone else. And we met at this great kind of Italian banquet hall. The food was amazing. They had a dance band and people were dancing. And it was really cool to kind of be a fly on the wall because, again, I didn't really know people. But this banquet, and you could tell that people probably had been on diets and gotten haircuts and finally washed the car after a year. Because, you, you know, when you show up at that kind of a reunion, you want to look good, look successful. You want to, you know, have it all together. And people were dressed up really nicely. There was forethought. It was one of those type of events. And so it was kind of cool to be a stranger there and kind of sit back and watch people. And you'd see people that hadn't seen each other in years. They, they would kind of square off and laugh and hug each other. And someone would say, you look just like you did in high school. And the lies like that were floating all over the room. It was literally amazing. But part of it was, and this was really fascinating to me, and I thought it was super meaningful. You've got this celebration, and people are putting their best foot forward, but there was one table with no chairs, one table. And on it were about a dozen pictures, and they were the pictures of the classmates who had died. And what was really neat was I got to sit kind of between celebration and that table, and I could observe people who would walk up to those 12 photographs, and sometimes they'd go up alone, and they would sit there and look, and you could just see them, and people took a long time there. It was really fascinating to me. And then what also happened, sometimes people would go up in pairs, or they'd step up when someone else was there, and you could see them pointing at a picture of someone who had passed, and they'd hold a conversation. And it was this strange reality of people excited to see each other, celebration, the dance band, and then this table of commemoration to classmates who had passed. Listen, that's what communion is. Communion is a celebration of life and what God has done for us in Christ. But we discover quickly that Jesus brings into that his suffering and his death. And what I love about it is that the main feast of the Christian faith deals with all of life. So if you're on the apex mountain of success and every goal and vision you've had has just been accomplished or you're in the valley of defeat, you belong at this table because it covers it all. It reaches out and grabs all positions and stations of human life and says, come down and sit at this table and eat with Jesus. You're welcomed here. Jesus says, I want you here. Now, what is important, though, to understand is where the context is for the feast that Jesus is going to bring, what we call communion or the Last Supper, but was known as the Passover meal, 
It's a meal that every Jewish person to this day celebrates on the same exact day all over the world and has for thousands of years since the time of Moses. It's the commemoration of God's deliverance of his people from bondage and servitude in Egypt and then brought them into the promised land very miraculous, miraculously. But the other thing you need to know is that the Dead Sea Scrolls teach us something that's really interesting. And in the scrolls, we discover that there were certain passages from the book of Isaiah that were informing the Jewish people of Jesus' day and kind of was their framework for what God was doing in their world. And the one that I want us to look at is Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. And just so that we keep everyone awake in this service, it's going to be a responsive reading. I'm going to read the first verse, you read the second. You got this? Responsive reading. It'll wake us all up. So Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. I'll read the first, you'll read the second. It'll be up on the screen. But what we need to understand, according to the Dead Sea Scrolls, this is one of the passages of expectation for the Jewish people of the Messiah for their day. And notice it involves a feast. It involves a banquet the apex of Jewish culture. Here's what the text tells us, Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. Here's what Isaiah prophesies looking into the future. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for just Jews? Oh no, all peoples. A banquet of aged wine the best of meats and the finest of wines. In other words, God is gonna throw a banquet or a feast that is going to be so incredible that no one wants to miss it. And then here's what they also believe to be true about this feast. On, are we ready? Read out loud, go. On this mountain... Wow. So Isaiah looks into the future and says there's going to kind of be a gloom over the people. There's going to be a shroud. Life won't be fully lit. There's going to be kind of a permeating darkness. And at this feast, what's going to happen on that mountain at that feast, that shroud will be pulled off of people. And suddenly the light that's not really gotten through, it's really going to get through now. It's going to be what everyone knows the world ought to be. And then my reading says this. And he, whoever this individual is, and the Jews at the time of Jesus believed it was the Messiah, that the Messiah would host this feast. And the Messiah, he will swallow up death forever. So at that meal... When you're eating the finest of wines and eating the best of food, the Messiah will take death and cut death up and swallow it. He will swallow up death forever and the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. You read next, go ahead. He will... Remove 
and in that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted him and he saved us. And then all together, this is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So could you imagine the expectation for this feast? where you will be invited to this banquet, and at the banquet, the Messiah will cut up death and swallow death, and light will be for all people. And so could you imagine the confusion for the disciples? They sit down to the Last Supper, and Jesus, they believe, is the Messiah. And as he sits down, he takes this meal that's always been about deliverance, and it's always been about God's victory. And he makes it about himself. But then he starts talking about dying. And the Jewish people, his disciples sitting there go, that, that's not how it works. This meal shouldn't be about Jesus dying. It should be about him swallowing death. And yet the way he's talking, it's like death's going to swallow him. And so the disciples are clearly confused. They don't get it because the Messiah should conquer death. And the way he's talking at this meal, it sounds like death is going to conquer him. So let's go ahead and read now the reading for this morning, Luke 22, verses 7 through 38. I'll read. Please follow along. The Last Supper. Then came the day of unleavened bread in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter, the two best names in all of the Bible, right there, together, Jesus and Peter. Isn't that amazing? Let's read on. Jesus sent Peter and John, which is clearly the third best name in the Bible, Jesus being first, Peter second, John third. All right, let's go on, saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. By the way, my name's Peter, just in case you didn't know. Reading on. It says, where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. And he replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asked, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. By the way, this is odd. Why all this detail? I believe everything in the Newer Testament has a definitive purpose. Why does Luke go into all this complicated talk of Jesus, follow the guy, find him, go up? Here's why. What's going to happen next seems as though Jesus was not prepared for it. It's the way it's going to seem. It's going to seem as though Jesus loses control at the meal. And so they recognize that everything about this meal, Jesus knows is coming. It's exactly as how he had told them. So they go up to this room and they go, wow, Jesus has planned this. Not a mistake. What's getting ready to happen was the plan of Jesus. That's why it's there. So reading on, here's what the text tells us. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And then he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And they'd have gone, wait, what? We thought the Messiah would swallow death. 
that there would be a meal we would be invited to where the Messiah would win. Reading on, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after that, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you that I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. It's not obvious that Judas is the betrayer. Even Peter's going, ah. John's going, ugh. Could it be me? Reading on, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. How weird. I mean, Jesus is holding this feast where he's going to insert himself in the middle of a thousand-year-old meal and say, I'm the center of that now. The Passover that you've celebrated, now it's about me. And all they get is, who's the greatest? Now, what we sense in our text is that Jesus in Luke twenty-two nineteen 19 takes the bread and the text says he took it, gave thanks and broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now here's what I want to be clear about. Communion involves the most common food you could find anywhere during Jesus' day. It's as common as sliced bread, no pun intended. So what we eat, it's not about the food. It's about what it stands for. The basic realities of eating in Jesus' day involved bread and wine. It was common. You ate it at every meal. And yet Jesus now picks up that bread that had not risen in commemoration of the Passover feast and all part of that meal. And when he picks it up, he holds out that piece of matzah and he says to his disciples, you've been eating it with a certain intention for years. Now it's about me. But it's bread. There's nothing really profound about it. It's bread without yeast. In our worlds, it's saltine crackers. Not Ritz crackers, because they really taste good. Saltine crackers. I'm sorry if you like them, but I don't. And so he holds out this everyday cracker, this bread, and says, this is now about me. I want you to take out your bread. If you have not been served, somehow you made it into the sanctuary and you've not been served, feel free to raise your hand. We have someone ready to serve you. Someone right up front. Keep your hand up. 
But as people at home are prepping and getting communion ready, and those of us here in the sanctuary have our bread, I want you to hold the bread up before the Lord for just a moment. And as we do, here we are at a feast with Jesus. I want you to close your eyes and open up your heart and use a sanctified imagination. You're at this feast with Jesus. And the feast is about God's victory and his deliverance and his overcoming reality in the world for your ancient people group, the Jews, who were delivered from bondage into freedom. And Jesus, in the middle of the meal, pulls up a table with pictures of deceased people. He invites death into the room. And he says, at this table, I'm going to acknowledge that I will die. That death is real. And that brokenness and dysfunction and disorder are something in this world that we live in and Christ has come to deal with. And then he holds out bread. The bread without yeast that they have eaten so many times. And he said, but this time, this bread is different. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, as we hold this bread, we acknowledge you. That in the world that is filled with death and discord and disunity and brokenness and dysfunction, we now hold this bread with the firm belief that Isaiah 25 is true in you. That you sat down at this meal and you swallowed death and defeated death in your body. And we give you thanks. Let's eat together. Luke twenty-two twenty. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus took a cup filled with wine, a drink that people had every day. It was as common as common could be. And yet Jesus took the cup and he held it up and he said, because I'm at the table with you, this cup is different. It's a cup that now points to me and what I've done for you and what I will do for you through the cross. Because this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord and take a moment and use sanctified imagination and be at this banquet, at this feast with Jesus. What's interesting to note here in the original language, poured out for you, the you is plural. It's for anyone who would say yes to Jesus. So as you hold this cup, 
This cup that signifies the brokenness of the world in which we're living. And if you would admit that you're broken, this cup is for you. If you would admit that you have dysfunction in your life, this cup is for you. If you would admit that it would stun you that God in the flesh would invite you to a banquet like this one, if you would admit that, this cup is for you. And if you would acknowledge the sin of your life, this cup is for you. But Jesus says this cup is filled with everyday wine, the fruit of the vine. But because he's at the table with us in this moment, this cup becomes the new covenant in his blood, which is poured out for us. How desperately we need this cup in this world in which we live. You can't be good enough to get it. You can't work hard enough to deserve it. You accept it as a free gift of faith in Jesus for what he's done for you. As we hold the cup up before the Lord, Jesus, we give you thanks that you stepped into this meal and you swallowed death and you wipe away every tear and you meet us where we're at. Thank you that this meal that we partake in is a meal that speaks of grace and forgiveness and love and victory and peace. But it's a meal that also speaks of death and destruction and disorder and dysfunction. Jesus, thank you that you invite us into you, into this meal. We give you thanks. Let's drink together. So the question is, as we close out this message, how do we put feet to our faith? Well, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, the Apostle Paul is now speaking about the meal we just took. And he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, Putting feet to our faith in the midst of this meal means that we acknowledge the death and the brokenness in the world and in our lives. But we also proclaim Christ's return and that he will reign as king. But we live in the hyphen between those two now. We feel the stress of it and the weight of it and the burden of it. But while we're there and we're here, we acknowledge it. But we allow this cup and this piece of bread to assure us again that we will not live here for all eternity. But that in Jesus, he has pulled back the curtain, the blanket that has kept the light coming in. And he sat down at this meal and he swallowed death whole but death could not defeat him. So on the third day, he was raised to new life through death. And he is now victorious. And so while we wait for the kingdom of God to be fulfilled,
we do with hope, with peace. Not ignoring the trials and the death and the destruction and dysfunction around us. But we do so through the lens of this cup and through the lens of the bread. Knowing that there's more to the story in Jesus and we're grateful for it.